Hello, everyone, and welcome to Choices Finding Your Joy. Paul Lavelle here, founder of Wellness Inspired. I am here today with an amazing gentleman, Carl Gann, and he is the volunteer president of orphansafrica.org. It's an amazing organization. I am thrilled to be involved with the organization and see what's happening. So I had to invite Carl on the show to share with every, everyone what we have going on. First off, welcome, Carl. Thank, Thank you, Paula. You. It's great to be here with you today. So happy to have you here. Well, let's begin with uh, basically what is Orphans Africa? Sure. Orphans Africa is a charity and it's based here in Tacoma, Washington. Our mission is to educate orphans in Africa. So uh, even though we are based here in Tacoma, it's an international charity and that way we can help children over there. So we have six different school programs uh, in five different locations. Uh, so what we're really trying to do is put a a hold on poverty by getting kids out of poverty through education. Oh, I love that. I love that. So did you begin with the six schools or how, how is it uh, transgressed in time since you started this project? We started in 2007. It was the work of my wife, Michelle Torrey, our friend Lisa de Guzman and myself. We decided we wanted to do something in Africa to help these children. And Paula, I have to tell you that when you go to rural Africa and you are working with people who are in severe poverty or extreme poverty, it doesn't get much worse than that because these kids have had their parents die. They really have zero economic opportunity. They typically are hungry. They don't have enough clothing. Uh, drinkable water is hard to come by. Uh, disease is pretty rampant, including malaria, especially near the equator where we work. So life is really hard for these kids. And what we want to do is change that by helping them to dig their way out of poverty and move on in their lives. So my wife and I and our friend began this charity in 2007. We raised money from different nations around the world to try to help these kids. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So what are the first steps that you do? What, mm -hmm. what do you put out there and provide that makes it different because my understanding is it's not that you're not just helping them you're helping them to help themselves sure. to have a better future tell us about that right i've always said you don't buy people out of poverty you educate them and they'll do it themselves that's really what you do with a child and when you do that with a child they have their education for their whole life so they can make decisions they can get jobs, they can affect their family and community. So we want to do that through our educational programs. The first step is we have the local community donate the land for the school. So they have bought in before anything ever happens. And these rural people are very community oriented. Uh, they may be speaking a tribal language, so they're unified uh, from that aspect in their history and culture. We get to know them and work with them, and they have provided the land, then we can start building the infrastructure. Buildings, classrooms, uh, dormitories, things like that. 
And then we also try to assist them with technical items, um, developing science laboratories and getting science equipment, you know, building libraries and providing books. It may surprise a lot of your listeners and viewers, Paula, but uh, in Tanzania, Africa, where we work, public schools don't have libraries. They don't exist. So when you're trying to teach kids how to read, it's very difficult when they have nothing to read. So one of our goals and needs still is funds to build more libraries and put more books into the hands of these students of ours. Yes, yes. And what are the things you that you do to do that, Carl? Well, we have our own manager in Tanzania who assists us with our diff uh, six different school programs. He was an orphan. Uh, he ended up raising his little brother and little sister after his parents died. Uh, he really struggled to get through school, but he also was extremely determined. And he ended up putting himself through college. And after he did that, we were able to hire him because he has it right here in his mm -hmm. heart. He knows the struggles and difficulties of being a child that doesn't have enough to eat, who struggles with illness, with, without medical care, and so on. So I work with him uh, from the US to Africa to uh, affect our programs. We raise money here in the United States, and we have donors in other nations as well. But we are trying to focus on the building of that infrastructure to develop a school. Today, after basically 11 years of work, we have three nursery schools, we have a primary school, we have a high school, and we have a vocational college that started this year in 2018. And right now we have about 584 total students among those programs, and it's growing. That is so amazing. Now, do the students pay a fee to come to school? Is well, that's a good question. Yeah. You can imagine that if you're a, an orphan yeah. child and you're 10 years old, your parents have died, you don't have any resources. Right. You, you are struggling just to stay alive. Um, so the way Orphans Africa works is that we have a self-sustaining model. What that means is there are parents who want their children to have a good education. So they will pay to send their kids to our schools for quality education like with libraries and science laboratories and so on, that money runs the school's daily operations, paying for the teachers, uh, you know, all the workers who are there, those kinds of things. And then the orphans get to come for free. So that's in the constitution of our schools that if you are an orphan, mm -hmm. you just come to our school and you can be admitted and get an education without cost. So what is surprising to many of our donors is 40% of the money that runs our schools comes from Africa. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Oh, and because those orphans would not be able to go to school without that. Correct. In, yeah. in the Tanzania, you not only just show up for school, but you need a school uniform and you have to have shoes. You would need books and supplies. You need paper and pens and things like that to do your homework, you know, your, your mm -hmm. classwork. Orphan children don't have those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So we have helped a lot of orphans to do those things. In our self-sustaining model, uh, for example, now we have our Maryland primary and nursery school, which is totally self-sustaining. It's our oldest and most mature 
project. And we're very proud of that because it really is the way we want the future to go so that Tanzanians are not dependent upon other nations to educate these destitute children. We know they can do it themselves, but it has to have the right model and we need to build out the infrastructure. Yes, yes. I know on, when I went to a Africa earlier this year, I was told that the government really doesn't uh, put much funding into the schools. Is that true? Where here, we really, our kids can go to school. They don't have that luxury, correct? That's pretty much correct in many developing nations. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until two years ago that the government of Tanzania provided a secondary education to kids without paying. And of course, the kids still have to have their shoes and uniforms and their own books and supplies, just like kids here. So before that, you could go through basically elementary school, and that would be provided by the government, although no libraries, no provision of books and supplies by the government. And then you were done. You had to have parents who would pay for high school. If your parents could only afford one child out of two or three or four, then the others didn't get any more education. So it's a very sad fact. The government now allows all of their children to go in, into high school, but still you need to pay certain fees and fees to take tests. Mm -hmm. But again, without libraries, without proper scientific laboratories and so on, government education is still uh, far behind our private schools. Yes. And um, are you seeing any differences made in, for example, the drinking water oh, at yeah. the schools and, and what, what the children are, are getting on that line? Sure. Many kids in developing nations don't have access to clean drinking water. One of the first things we had to do to even build our first buildings is to dig a well. So early on, we hand dug wells. There are people who do that with a shovel, a bucket, and a rope. Because you need water to mix cement to put the schools together. But what we have done more recently is we have deep drilled wells now that we have established our school programs. Uh, we have one at our high school that's been in operation now for a couple of years. When we started using it, the headmaster reported back that diarrhea has virtually disappeared from the campus. Oh. You can imagine that when your drinking water prior to that in the community was uh, typically a woman going to some stream where the farm animal waste and everything else drains into it and people wash their clothes, yeah. that it's not the best water and there was quite a bit of sickness. And that has really solved the problem at that school and the students now don't miss nearly as much school. They are healthier and one of the kids told me one day I think better when I drink water. Oh, it's amazing oh, for us, isn't it? Oh my goodness! I, yes, yes. And you know, water is just something we here don't even think about, you know. And to them, and and to wash and baths, and you know, they don't have the luxury we have. That's huge. I think better. That's adorable. We finished another well this year at our Isandula Vocational College. Again, it's a deep drilled well, and we're doing a new kind of program to help our self-sustainability. Our field partners that we work with there, the local Tanzanians, uh, built on their own a nursery school classroom. 
and they built onto it what they call a water room. So from our college, it's about one kilometer to this nursery school in the community. We hand dug with a shovel a trench and ran a water line from our water well to this nursery school water room so we can sell water to the community, clean oh, drinking water. What a great idea. Right. How much do you think a bucket of water would, would cost that we're selling? Let's see, there's shillings over there. Well, you can put it in uh, dollars. And five cents. shillings, maybe a couple cents? No. Four and a half cents. Four and a half cents. Gosh. <laughs> Which they can afford. That's a yes. very good price. Yes. But what it also does besides health care, you know, making people healthier, mm -hmm. you think about the women who spend hours a day walking with a bucket down a hill yes. to a stream yes. and then carrying it back up a hill. And sometimes it can be a mile or two or three. Now they are right there in their community. They get clean water for a very low wow. price. It will allow these women to now engage in more economic opportunity instead of spending hours carrying buckets of water yes. every day. So that's a real release for people who are uh, struggling and captured into that time. And that, that water is so huge, you know, for them to drink, for them to cleanse themselves. I remember that being there and I, I saw all these young girls and they had no hair. Their, their heads were shaved. And I thought, is that like, why is that? So I asked one, it's because we don't have the water to wash our hair and we don't have the means to buy products to wash our hair. And I just, I was shocked. Yes, most of the kids that we have in our schools are exactly that way. One time I had someone ask, why don't you have any girls in school? Oh and my It's because gosh. They, they thought all girls had long hair, but... Oh. Uh, it's cut right off mm -hmm. because of the dirt and the bugs and cleanliness. Yeah. We took one year these little bottles of shampoo and gave to kids in our nursery school to take home. The next day, the kids came back and said, what is that? What's it for? Mm -hmm. They had no idea what shampoo was. Yeah. Uh, and when we uh, were building our East Doula nursery school years ago, we had a lot of kids there and extremely poor part of the country. Without water, most of the kids had fungus growing on top of their heads, you know, oh. white patches, uh, fungus on their heads, because they don't have soap, they don't have water. Wow. That's the status of a lot of very poor children in the world, Paula. Yes, yes. And you've been there many times, haven't you, Paula? Uh, over the last 11 years, I take off work mm -hmm. and go over to Tanzania to do these things. So yes, many times. You are an angel. Is there a, a particular story or something that you witnessed or experienced that really touched you that you'd like to share with us on one of your trips? Uh, there are so many. It's hard yeah. to think of one. But I do remember a time in the village of our high school. I was walking this same path for, I don't know what time it was, and I was going... Uh, on this road, in the middle of the village, there's this giant avocado tree, okay. and it is huge. And I was walking by, and it was about avocado harvesting season. And all around the edge of this tree were about eight or nine children just standing there looking up at the tree. They were waiting for an avocado to fall. 
Oh. Well, I waited around a little bit. You know, I like to interact with mm -hmm. the kids, you know, give them fist bumps and yeah. laugh with them. Then I went on, I was actually going to our school soccer game, which was in a part of that community. So I went to the soccer game and I came back. On my way back, the kids are still standing around the tree. And so I, I again stopped with the kids to talk to them. And sure enough, I heard this, you know, tink, 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 bang onto the ground. And there was this mad rush of children oh. to get that avocado. And of course, one spry young boy, probably yeah. eight or nine years old, came up with the avocado. He was, you know, celebrating because he got yes. an avocado. He brought it to me. Oh my goodness. And you can imagine how valuable that is because an avocado is full of oil and lots of yeah. calories. And he gave it to me as a gift. I couldn't keep it. You know, yeah. It tells you how, um, their, how kind they are. Their hearts. Their hearts. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I know myself, you know, what I've seen, and I know I haven't gone near to what, what you've seen, Carl. Just, you know, tore my heart, but yet also my heart was filled because there was so much kindness in so many of the people. Mm -hmm. And the children, you know, just in rags and hungry and just. There are terrible places caring. in the world. Yes. yes. Uh, but that's where we work. Yes. And making a difference. Right. And making a difference. Yes. There's a, an economist who wrote a book called The End of Poverty. His name is Jeffrey Sachs. He wrote oh. it in 2006. And in the very front of his book, he writes, Eight million people die each year because they're simply too poor to stay alive. Eight million people. And a lot of them happen to be in Africa because there are many very poor nations. When I look at the work we do in Africa, a lot of people don't know much about Africa. It's mm -hmm. huge. It's twice the size of Russia. Uh, there are about a billion people in Africa across that continent. But we hear so little. And one of my jobs is to go there and be the voice for these people who have yes. no voice. And so you're doing a great job, Thank Paula, you, uh, to bring this message to people oh. in the world. Because I think it's really important. Uh, I don't think that we should tolerate a world where it's simply okay for 8 million people to die every year because they're too poor. I agree. I agree. And Carl, you know, what I feel, the experience for me, I, I did care and, you know, we can read about it, we can hear about it, but my gosh, when you go experience it, it really opens your eyes even more so. And so what you're doing, this organization is just changing lives and doing so much. And it, and you can do a lot with a little Yes. A little from, from several people can do so much for so many people. And, and I, I know everyone, you can go to orphansafrica.org and get information. It, Carl, is there any other information you want to give them uh, that they might want to look into or contact you about? Or do you suggest just going to the website? You can go to the website. Uh orphansafrica.org, just those two words stuck together. You can email 
info at orphansafrica.org and we will get back with you. Uh, there's a lot to share about Africa, of course, yes. and uh, there's not enough time to do all of that, so we welcome your questions. It sounds in some ways a little simple. Well, we build schools and we educate orphans. It's not that simple, Paula. There's a lot to that. First of all, it's on the other side of the world. There are language barriers. There are cultural barriers. It takes funds to get it done. We must interface with the government to meet the educational standards and curriculum. Uh, we have so many things that we need to do to get these programs done. But you're correct. A little money from here goes a long way there. Yes. For example, we have two nursery schools close together in the southern part of Tanzania. One is self-sustaining and it actually helps support the other one, which is in an extremely poor area of the country. We are able to educate these children for a year in nursery school. We feed them lunch, which is a porridge each day for lunch. And we purchase medical care insurance for them for a year. In 2017, we were able to educate those kids, feed them and medically insure them for less than $6 per kid per year. And that's because of our self-sustaining model and the fact that our field partners there donate the land and again, 40% of the money comes from Africa. So anybody who wants to help us make changes, changes in the lives of really vulnerable kids, this is a good way to do it because we're getting a lot of mileage out of each dollar. Yes, yes. And I would say to everyone, anything that you can do, any, anything you can you know, contribute, would make a huge difference in a lot of lives. And Carl and I have, have witnessed some of this. And you're right, Carl. I mean, just getting them some food, some water, the education. And I love that your schools, you're teaching them how to be sustainable. And so with the future, uh, are you looking at building more schools? Well, right now with our six programs, we're not looking at building more schools. We want to mature all of our projects first wow. and make sure they're on solid ground for self-sustainability. Yes. Part of our self-sustainability is an agricultural program and livestock program. Our schools have gotten a lot of land donated. Our mm -hmm. high school is on 36 acres. Our Easton Doula Center Vocational College is on 40 acres. So we grow crops on that land on one of the, the high school area we have some, a couple of cows some goats a lot of chickens we grow crops and that food helps to support the kids in school and excess vegetables and things are sold to the community to help support the school so we are leveraging our funds the best we can to get more out of them so even looking at our financial records which are good it doesn't show all of the things that are being done that helps our schools be self-supporting. Yeah. And this is such a beautiful thing you're doing. And we can all help in that way. And my gosh, when you do that little bit and make a di difference, you're not just changing their lives. You know what? You're changing your own. I feel the greatest gift we can give ourselves is compassion and caring.
and something like Orphans Africa is one of the best things we can do for ourselves, helping with that. I know how it's made me feel mm -hmm. being a part of it and helping with that, Carl. And I know the experiences I had in Africa. And any of my listeners, if you want to contact me at Paula at wellnessinspired.com, I'd be happy to share some pictures, some stories, and, you know, anything I can help you with and, you know, help you maybe be involved. So if someone wanted to be involved, Carl, could they like do a one-time donation? Could they become regular donors or contribute contribute any other way what what sure. can uh, listeners and viewers out there today watching what what options do they have to kind of become a part of this sure on our website you can donate you can either be a one-time donor which we appreciate or there's a box you can check for recurring donations monthly or quarterly that's important because our schoolwork goes on year-round Paula it's not we go do one thing for the year and we're done. Kids are in school 10 months out of the year. So the expenses go on. And most of the money, of course, goes to our infrastructure development. You can mail a check-in. Our address is on the website. Uh, in terms of volunteering, it depends on what your skills are. And we have a volunteer tab on our website that people can also browse. Uh, we do get people calling us up from time to time saying, well, I have some item, you know, will you take it with you? The problem with that is it's very expensive to carry extra things on an airplane that far. The money spent on luggage fees is much better spent in Tanzania to get the things that we need. Again, the, the money goes a long way. Yes, it does. Paula, sometimes people ask me, why do I do this? You probably have heard that. And I tell them it's simply the right thing to do. Oh, yeah. We we can choose to not act. But I choose to act. And I think for people who are your listeners and viewers, if they want to have an impact against poverty with some of the most vulnerable children in the world, this is the way we do it. It is. It is. We also have a huge number of kids graduating, going into higher ed, becoming teachers, nurses, secretaries, and other occupations. It is successful. We are making it work. Yeah. Oh, Carl, thank you so much. I am so grateful for all that you do, all that the organization does. We're very happy to have you, and thank you so much for having me today, Paula. It's mm -hmm. wonderful to be here. And to everyone out there, thank you so much for joining us. So grateful to, to have you listening to my show. I, I love my emails. And feel free to email me with any comments or questions. Everybody have a fantastic day. Thank you so much. Love, hugs, and blessings. Bye. Are you looking to open the beautiful door to the beautiful modality of Reiki, a hands-on energy healing modality? Radio host, Reiki master, speaker, and published author, Paula Vale would be honored to assist you in your Reiki training. For details, go to wellnessinspired.com. You may also contact Paula at paula at wellnessinspired.com to schedule your training.